Welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases. Today we have a guest who works with me. He's a well-renowned radio producer and recently presenter who is very, very fascinated, engrossed with this particular topic. Hey, Pointy. Hello, Moose. Nick, shall you introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say um, you could introduce Nick, but... Uh... <laughs> well, no, no, let's, let's see what he comes up with. Uh... Tell us about yourself. You made me all red-faced. <laughs> That's good. To <laughs> um, Perfect medium for it. Yeah, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> I am a spicy Pisces. A spicy enchilada. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. You've summed it up. It's fantastic. World-renowned producer. I hope for the right reasons. But what are you yeah. talking about? We're talking about the golden age of television. Which is a phrase that I've started hearing more and more. Hmm. Uh, just around, I'm quite interested in television. That's to say, I'm addicted. I can't get enough. It's really bad. I sit in front of a giant screen a lot. <laughs> it's how I, um, yeah, it's how I unwind. So I watch a lot of TV. What? what? Okay, so this phrase of golden age of TV like is a thing. I've heard it as well. I'm sure Pointy's heard it. And... I kind of equate that to the time that everybody started binge-watching things as well to be able to download them or get them on DVD and really watch one episode after another after another after another. It's quite funny that the golden age coincides with uh, the golden age of piracy also. That is true. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of had it a hand in that. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of the topic. When I thought about talking about this, it's one of the topics that came up. Well, one of the, I don't know, sub-points of the golden age of television with being downloading and how people are actually watching TV, which is in a quite an illegal way. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to talk about shows that haven't been on Australian TV at all. Yeah. Uh, and the only way that I've seen it is through illegal channels. Of course not you. You just no, happened to walk past a, the TV. Fr- a friend or an acquaintance or someone downloaded everything that I talk about. Yeah. But yeah, not me. Um, relayed experience. Don't do that stuff. I don't support things. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but go, it's been around for quite a while, but it seems it's got to the point. I think everyone started realising that, that we're in a golden age when they realise that there's so much on they actually can't physically keep up. There are so many options for you to watch now that it gets to the point where you don't feel like you should waste time with bad stuff. <laughs> and also, well, yes, because for a very long time, people would spend a lot of time watching shit TV or just whatever's on, and that was classic turning on the TV to see what's on. Now people turn on the TV and watch specifically what they want. But I think the golden age of TV also comes because because we have the ability to binge watch, we don't have to wait week to week as often for shows. They can go for an hour without ads and really they're telling stories that you couldn't tell in a movie because they're too complex and too long. Um, So they're kind of taking that role from movies that classically held. And I don't know, I just can't figure out when it started. Yeah, or maybe before we define it, like, yeah, I completely agree that you know, in an hour and a half, two hour movie, it's really hard to, you know, tell a compelling story where a character has changed in such a way that it actually means something. With the, yes. with the exception of showgirls, (laughs) that is just all, all guns, all out. Good to go. Guns. Is that what you're calling them now? (laughs) Well, like it's just, it's all, it's, it's a fireworks heavy show, you know, 
like top heavy show. That's yes, very top heavy. <laughs> that's very like lots of change happens in that show. It's loaded, loaded. Okay, so uh, okay then. Well, so what do I consider the start? Uh, I think uh, we wouldn't have got to. I'm assuming. I'm not meaning to talk for you guys, but I'm guessing that we're talking about Sybil. Yes. Sybil, oh, that is such a good show. It was such a uh, that was that. Oh, yeah, no, Sybil's up there. No, I see we we get mixed off with things because I'm kidding because that was like '90s kind of sitcom TV. All good, not the golden age. Yeah, see, the golden age started because yeah, not only did people have so much to watch that they didn't know what to watch, but there were more ways of getting it. So instead of there being just like five or six or ten, you know, mainstream channels producing content in America, he started getting, like, cable TV, things like HBO, and they gave you a lot more options about things that you could watch Mm. in possibly a more adult setting, adult nature. Yeah, showgirls stuff. Much like showgirls. Yeah, much like showgirls. So, like, while shows like Cheers and, like, MASH, Murphy Brown, uh, Sybil to a point, but we, we won't mention her again. Frasier. Uh, Frasier, yeah, Still, absolutely. That, that point before Golden Age. Mm. See, they're all before Golden Age because they were shows that could work in, you know. On, 20 minutes. Yeah, 22 minutes. You could come in and watch a random episode at any point whatsoever and still be able to follow on. Okay, so what's your AD your one show. Like, I haven't there? thought. What's I haven't the BC thought. AD equivalent um, for the golden age. I like, haven't. I haven't thought about a particular point. I have to say, I'm, I'm feeling like it happened because HBO kind of kicked off like late '80s, early '90s was when they started actually getting into creating their own content, which started creating a lot more um, watchable th- stuff that people would take notice or event television or whatever you want to call it. So I- I'd say maybe uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, not at the start when HBO was, was introduced. Was 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 if you had to choose one show where it was before that, it was swill, rubbish. F- After that, it was... The golden age. Oh, that, that, no, no, you can't say before that was swill rubbish. I'm, al- I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm only joking. Stu- I'm only yeah. joking. All right. I'm only joking. But I'm just saying, like, what's the show that you go, okay, well, that's when it started getting to a point where it was, like, very mature. That's where I would say it started from that. The Sopranos? I, I want to say Sopranos. I keep coming back to Sex in the City. I, even Homicide Life in the Street, which was a US cop show that kind of started in the same way. Just amazing writing that would get quite critically acclaimed and people would start taking notice of shows. It wasn't yeah. just like kind of pop TV that you could digest again and again and again. Describing, so, it as, describing it as something more than like a serial. They're like looking into it and dissecting it and it's yeah. got so many layers. So what year was that, roughly? I'd say early 90s, uh, maybe 93, 94. No, I'm going to push it to early 2000s is when this golden age of TV started. Okay. Well, I think that for me, this couple of series where there was real promise and things really started to develop uh, was Twin Peaks. Yes. That's definitely a, a touchstone in mm. the development of TV. Yeah. X-Files. Mm, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there were some missteps along the way. There were mm. some mysteries that were never quite solved. Mm. But I think when you think of things like, I don't know, Lost and some of the other seasons uh, shows that came later on, definitely took a, a leaf out of that book. Yes, yes. but I think, I think Twin Peaks and X-Files, should they be run now, would fit nicely into that. Mm. And it was obviously the start of, but it wasn't in the golden age. Oh, no, 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 I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that that's 
really what got us there. Yeah. Like shows oh, like yeah, that yeah. paved the way. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the success and the you know the guts of those shows mm. to do what they did, we might not have absolutely got to where we did. Absolutely. And those network shows like that, like being on Fox, those shows are like amazing. They're fantastic, and they would really work today in a modern setting as well. But they're one of the few examples of interesting shows that could not just kind of regurgitate things again and again and again. It can actually like take their characters on a journey and like yeah. ex- like move forward their characters as people rather than just getting through 20 or 40 or 50 minutes or whatever and then resetting at the end so everything's back to normal by the next episode. There are a few of those shows like The X-Files uh, that – did that already in a mainstream market, which was fantastic. But then you had more shows like Soprano started coming along, um, Six Feet Under after that as well, where it was you were going on a you were always going forward. You were never resetting. You were never going back to a time. You were always moving forward. So you're going on a journey with characters and getting to understand them more, which made people love television even more. I guess it was structured more like a movie with a beginning, middle, and end. Mm. Yeah, but that beginning, middle and end might have gone over six years as opposed to mm. an hour and a half. <laughs> but, I mean, Lost Lost is one of the big... Like Lost, I've never watched a lot of Lost. Okay, it, we've got a sigh here, so we'll come back to that. But I reckon that and The Sopranos were key kind of kickers off... Like, kicked off that glut of great television. Mm. Um, I just remember... Like, I didn't really obviously I was too young to really get into the X-Files when it was on TV but I did watch occasional episodes when they're on TV and I always remembered um this one particular episode where I don't know they were investigating some kid's bedroom that was like possibly a satanist or whatever and mm. his parents were like look at all these images on this CD he's a satanist and they're like I always remember Mulder going that's a Marilyn Manson album you could buy that at Kmart your kid bought that at Kmart and I was like I like Marilyn Manson <laughs> the X-Files was way funnier than people gave it credit for there was lots yeah. of little jokes yeah, in the there humor, oh yeah the humour on it was incredible main shows that we'll kind of talk about as well breaking bad kind of kicked off vince gilligan was just a right like he wrote tv shows and stuff vince gilligan creator of um breaking bad sorry he wrote like a lot of movies he wrote a couple of movies uh, <laughs> and then eventually got into <laughs> some weird some weird alien creature from x-files it's just taken over the table next to us anyway yeah vince gilligan creator of breaking bad actually started out he was writing a lot of movies but he wrote a spec couple of spec scripts for the x-files and ended up running on that show for quite a long time running writing a lot of episodes in one episode he actually wrote it actually featured um it was supposed to be a guy in a car for nearly 40 to 50 minutes and they cast brian cranston who ended up playing walter white it was the first Mm. thing that came through together they it was the first time they'd worked together and he'd seen what really happened and then later on when vince gilligan went on to create breaking bad he thought of brian cranston we thought worked with x-files so it's kind of setting like the ground layer and like I listen to a lot of writing podcasts as well with a lot of the US writers for TV shows on right now. And they mention it. The X-Files comes up so often to the point where 
even Vince Gilligan doing sh- shows with other writers, they all tend to say, I was watching X-Files quite a lot. Oh, you So writers yeah. that now, they would have been watching shows like um, X-Files and like uh, any other shows really yeah. <laughs> that were like, they set like a basis for where, what we're in now. We're into the point now where people have grown up watching these amazing shows and realising that there aren't, boundaries or guidelines or anything like that like you can push the limit uh, and you can push the envelope as much as you want i'm really coming around to this idea from pointy that it was twin peaks and x-files that kicked (laughs) it off because i can see the link between the two shows and Mm. i think you made an interesting point that people started watching those and started working on those that went on to create Mm. some of the golden age of television shows the Interesting thing as well is like Felicity, like some random Wasn't show. Some crazy time travel yeah, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Felicity was just like some bubblegum pop show about, you know, a girl that out of high school went to university, followed her crush across country to New York to go to university and then realised that the guy didn't even like her or something like that. Like it's re- it's very hazy recollection of Felicity. It was created by J.J. Abrams who yeah. is ended up going on to do so many movies yeah. but created the show like Lost as well. But before that like he created Alias and created all these characters and a running timeline and stuff. But, yeah, there's a lot of basis in these shows to go on to do mm. great things. What about uh, Buffy and Angel? Oh, do yes. you consider that like? to be of the same ilk Buffy's definitely in there great, but I don't consider it part of the golden age of television in in the way we see it now it's yeah it's uh, it worked because like Buffy's um like don't get me wrong Buffy's fantastic like it's so good and so creative and Joss Stone is uh Joss Whedon as well Joss Stone what if Joss Stone had created there'd be a lot more soulful singing there was that one episode where they sang the whole time but I guess we could (laughs) Joss Whedon sorry you have to cut my head off at the stake um yeah when he created like that show, that was in that was a really revolutionary thing. Like he just he wanted to tell a story with the characters. The movie that he created really got bastardized and commercialized. It did, but even in even in interviews with Joss, he says he doesn't like the movie now. He hates like he hates what it's what it got turned into because he didn't have control. And seeing what he wanted to do with that movie through Buffy is amazing. And I think that's that's exactly what we're talking about of what the Golden Age of TV represents. What you can do in television now that you could not do in a movie, mm. same thing he went through. What he couldn't do in that movie, he did in however eight seasons. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and had the spin-offs as well. Had Angel, um, and then went on to do like amazing television that he just wanted to do. Like he did Firefly, which was great. He did Dollhouse Doll as well, good. which I was quite actually quite it. good. Yeah. yeah. It, very interesting premise, and there were a lot more thoughts for it. And I'm kind of happy that he didn't get weighed down in that show. Ended fairly abruptly. Yeah, I think it went for two, two seasons, seasons. Yeah. Um, and then he really like got into well, not got into movies because he's always been very comic book based, and it's always been known. But he started writing a lot more. Mm. Um, he started getting involved in the Marvel universe, and like, look what we've got now. I know that. We've already talked about the Avengers off mic. We won't talk about it here because that's different. There's different thoughts on that issue. But when, but with Joss Stone, I was, I'm just so happy with what Get he's. Damn it! Just wait. Why am I thinking about Joss Stone? Uh, just, but with. <laughs> <laughs> but with Josh Whedon, right. yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about Show- Elizabeth Perkins. <laughs> 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 about it. Um, yeah, but. I was just 
yeah, I'm quite happy with what I've got out of Joss Whedon before he went to movies and before he got caught up in things because he was really melt for great things. Buffy was incredible and long-lasting and on Fox or, yeah, on Fox as well. So, like, it's one of the, once again, it's one of those shows that was like a diamond in the rough when you had a lot of crap Damn. on. Like, ER was good, but it kind of it just kept going. It went for nearly yeah, 13 ER, years or something. ER and was popular, but you can yeah. just slot it into that medical drama yeah. category. Whether it started it off or not, that's not there. Yeah. So the, the age. Uh, Go home, yeah, uh, ER. yeah, once George Clooney actually got off, that, it just kind of lost it. So, yeah, it's... There's a lot of basis for things. Where we are now, there's a lot of basis in in the past. And I'm not talking about, like, 70s or 80s. It's actually really... It's an interesting past that we've had a hand in, which is good. Like, it shows, like, the X-Files and it shows, like, Buffy. They have had an impact on people to get to the point where we are now, where we've got so much on and it's so good and you just don't have... (laughs) <laughs> you don't have the time to watch everything. Right. Like, I I don't watch everything that's amazing. There are so many shows that I wish I watched or I had watched. I just don't have the time. But you don't need to watch them at the time because the whole, yeah, like the, I don't know, the shared, uh, the shared experience of like 20 years ago where you watched something at the same time, talked about the next day, that doesn't exist anymore. The moon landing. Because people watch things at their own pace mm. and they might be watching it two years yeah. after somebody else. Yeah. I get to the point where there are shows I go, you know what, I've heard really good things about this show, I'm going to give it a go. And, like, it could be, like, two or three or ten years after it's aired Mm -hmm. and I'll watch it and go, yeah, this is great, this is fantastic. This this amount of that show is brilliant and I can just keep – I constantly discover things every day. And the good thing about that as well is you now in the golden age of television can – binge watch and catch up to where you are like you can if you've come in four seasons in boom that's awesome if you love it because you just keep going and um i did the same thing with the newsroom recently oh yeah um the first yes. season of the newsroom somebody uh, um handed me a dvd and said you need to watch this mm-hmm. and it sat on the top of our shelf for How six for six months <laughs> and i went i went oh yeah. we really need to watch that but i kind of went oh newsy newsroom mm-hmm. like by the end of the first monologue in the first five minutes i was like yeah yeah. Have you seen other Aaron Sorkin related shows? No. Uh, West Wing. West Wing is no. the big one. West Wing is probably up there as when well. I think of West Wing. I think of Birds. No, oh, see, West Wing is so much more. West Wing. Yeah. <laughs> West Wing is incredible. Like, I really, I cannot highly recommend that show enough. It's one of my most favourite shows. Yeah. You think of Birds when you hear Wings. Yes. Surprised you didn't say Paul McCartney. <laughs> but. Like, West Wing is one of those good things because solid writing, amazing writing, amazing characters, going through them on a journey. On a network show as well, it was on NBC and was really at a time when America was not happy with their president. The TV On TV, you had a democratic president who was quite open about things, who was, like, seemingly solving the world's problems. And a lot of people that were happy to be part of a government and happy to be doing all that stuff. Where in reality, it was like George Bush, no one was happy with their government, everyone think an idiot was running the place, and that the country wasn't advancing enough. And that's it. So West Wing, I feel like, yeah, West Wing was, was so good because it kind of, it was good because it's amazing writing, and at the time it was good because 
people watching it, it was like an alternate reality of what could have been. Mm. <laughs> Not saying that Al Gore would have been like, you know, an you amazing character. Yeah, yeah. He seemed kind of like a dial tone. So I'm not sure if he had the, you know, the grace of Martin Sheen being the president of the United States. Wouldn't that series have been different if it was Martin Short? Oh, like I'm just imagining Short. Jimmy. I'm imagining, <laughs> see, with both those things, I'm imagining Jiminy Glick, his fat, Martin Sheen's uh, char- fat character running the country, or yes. I'm imagining the character from Top, oh no, Hot Shots or Two and a Half Men running the country, which I think would be a great movie. The reason or I, even a quite a, part, a three part series. The reason I didn't watch that show is part of the reason I didn't like get onto the newsroom so quickly. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, politics, ah, oh, news. Oh. But there's so much more to it. Yeah. You can make a great TV show now about anything yeah. as long as the story within it is good. I find that premises now are absolutely amazing. If you don't have a show with a really good premise, it won't go anywhere. So there's, like, a lot more hook. You can't kind of say anymore, it's a hospital and everyone's pretty and, like, all this stuff. You've actually got to have, like, a really big hook for shows to watch. Oh it's really God, great. Though. Though, if it was a hospital and everyone was pretty, I would run that show and call it Hotspital. <laughs> hotspital! See, I, I thought you were going to say it's a hospital, but they're on hooks. <laughs> <laughs> that's Hookspital, hooks and it's run by Captain Hook. They cure someone, within 20 seconds, they're yeah. hooked, drawn and quartered. <laughs> no, I was going to think it was run by Captain Hook. <laughs> See, we're all pitching shows. I hope well, we should write all these down and start pitching them <laughs> Hooking up it went from a really light-hearted kind of a hospital where there's just heaps of models playing there Much to likewise. something with a hook going crazy. <laughs> Close. All right, so let's rewind, yeah. go back to the absolute start of this golden age, Sopranos, Six Feet Under. Yeah, I say, yeah, like, that time? I didn't, uh, I didn't, I was quite young. Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw random episodes yeah, of X-Files and Sex in the City and Sopranos. My parents watched The Sopranos, or at least my dad watched The Sopranos. was a very big fan. So I, also as well, like, Australian experiences are quite different to American experiences. These shows were in prime time in America where we came across really great shows at late night. We came at them when... You're supposed to be in bed where your parents would stay up to watch good TV. Like, they would have to stay up till midnight to watch Ooh. The West Wing because that's when it aired. SBS. Yeah, or, or boobs on SBS. Um, but I've forgotten what I was saying. <laughs> you just about boobs on SBS. You said boobs on SBS and you got me confused. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Staying good TV. Different experiences. Different experiences to America than here. Um, I've lost it. Uh, six feet under. Gone. Yeah, yeah. It was it was those things. Like it was, uh, I came to them later. Once again, going back to that idea that you can rediscover these shows. I watched Sex in the City when I was at university. I my first year of uni, I had like four girl roommates, and they would just watch Sex in the City all the time. Like one of them had the box set that was in the shape of a shoe box, See? and yeah, we just watched. Like I just watched them, and I saw that was really just. Good writing, good characters. It wasn't just like a chick show. It wasn't like guy show, chick show, or like faff. It was actually really good writing and good characters. Four girl roommate thing is is like a premise for a show in <laughs> yeah. itself. It's almost like the reverse New Girl. Mm. Um, but 
I want to say like you, Five's company or something. You, you, like you keep mentioning Sex and the City as part of the Golden Age. Yeah, the why? I don't know why. Because <laughs> I don't even like support it that well. Like I really think I think I've like even like half-heartedly criticised it to when my girlfriend possibly brings it up maybe once on a full moon. So I'm not sure why, but I feel like it was an important show to come at a time. Like it showed people that you could be risqued on television. Yeah. We talk about things that actually people were yeah. talking about. Like people are filthy in real life. They talk about things. They talk about like sex and showgirls. weird things and showgirls and, you know, all that stuff. So like actually like seeing that actually on TV, I really think helped get to where we are today where we're actually seeing like real characters. We might be yeah. seeing them in unreal situations, but we're actually seeing real real types of people on the screen. Oh, I think I was just going to say that um, Six Feet Under for me was a real big one. Yeah. Yes. Like I did watch it at the time Absolutely. and it was just amazing. Like there mm. wasn't anything else like it. And to go on that journey, mm. like through the whole five seasons, it was it was pretty intense. What was your understanding of it? Did you come into it halfway? Did you catch like a um, random episode or watch it from the beginning? I didn't watch it from the beginning. I watched sort of random episodes here and there, mm. but it would have been quite early on in the show's run because I was in year 12 in 2001. Mm. And I think the show only started around that time. Um, so I probably saw a couple of episodes here and there, then bought the first season and watched mm. that. But, yeah, I just remember the – it might have been the last episode of season three or something when uh, Nate and – Brenda had that massive fight. Ah, uh, yes, and when she realised that she was cheating yeah. on him. And, yeah. I don't know if it was season three. Maybe it wasn't. But, like, mm. that episode, like, that sticks in my memory. Mm. And then, obviously, the one where, like, you know, uh, well, the aftermath of Lisa dying and yeah. when Nate buried her under the Joshua tree and all that sort of stuff. That was all pretty intense. Mm. When I found that show, it was probably in high school, uh, when I finished high school or maybe like after, but I fin- remember that the entire show had finished and it's friend had had it on DVD and just watching it, it was like, not it wasn't ha- like it wasn't happy and not saying that there are other shows that are happy, but it was like families dealing with shit, like really serious stuff and dealing with like, like I remember kind of relating with all the characters at yeah. one point, which I don't really do in TV shows. Like there was like the grieving mother who was quite old and sometimes I found and her neurotic. just annoying and, and awesome. neurotic. But, yeah, but there were times where I went, yeah, I, can't, I really related with what she was dealing with. And then there was like the rebellious teenager who was like high on crystal meth or something when she found out her dad had got killed. Like that was absolutely crazy. And just seeing kind of go through there, it was really interesting to live through all those characters. Even like Michael C. Scott as David playing, you know, this kind of repressed gay character who comes out eventually and kind of accepts who he is, but at the same time is still dealing with that. Like, it's not just like, I'm out, I'm here, I'm fabulous. Yeah, well, it was like, it really took some time for him. always wanted to hear something. <laughs> well, it took some time for him to deal with that. So it's like, it felt like real stuff. There was no going back to it. There was no reset where everyone became a happy family yeah. at the end of the episode for the next episode. Well, what I liked about it so much is they made each character so so unlikable mm, like yeah, they were all yeah. awful fucking were, people yeah, there were like times, really there were times where i was like these people are terrible like, like you still each sort of, of rooted people. for them yeah, you're like yeah. oh that's i can't that's real that. life but that's it we're all fucked up and we all make mistakes that's it. i think that's a huge part of what led to 
Drink some cream. <laughs> I think that's a huge part of what led to this Golden Edge of TV thing as well. The fact that there's so many unlikable characters on TV that you love. There's so many flawed characters. Like there's shows based on the premise the lead characters are all criminals. They're serial killers. They're this or that. But you learn to like them because there's a human underneath yeah. there that has a motivation. And you learn that motivation, you become part of that show. Mm. Um, and, I mean, that did start with... I've never seen Six Feet Under, but what you're saying, that sounds like that. Mm. And I've never seen The Sopranos, but, oh, hell yeah, there's a mob boss and his family, and he's... You've never seen The Sopranos, and you've never seen Six Feet Under. (laughs) I know, crazy. No, you really need to fix that. Who is this person sitting across from me? This husk of a person. See, it's good because the premise like, yeah, think of The Sopranos. It's a mob boss. Like, he's dealing with a lot of shit, a lot of mental issues. It's kind of the main... The first kind of episode we see him is is he's having panic attacks. He's not being able to deal with himself as a mob boss, which is kind of something that he's always done and always will be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. So it's just like it's, yeah, those characters now gets to the point where if they're real, like if they're flawed, it's great. You don't look for it, but it feels like people are more drawn to characters that are imperfect because that's what life is. Like, two characters like that are Tony Soprano, but Walter White as well. Like, the main pitch of the show, the main pitch of the show with Vince Gilligan, and you can tell I love Breaking Bad because I'll keep bringing it up. Well, just before you continue, um, we have defined the sort of beginnings, and it's still currently going. So, I guess at the moment, fucking free for all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, break like, going to Breaking Bad, that character is... Mr. Chips turned into Mr. Scarface. Like, it's turning the average American person, and if you see him, if you watch that first episode, he's a pathetic guy, he's a teacher, he's not a real... It comes off that he's not a real man. He's just, like, he's emasculated by a brother-in-law who's, like, in the DEA and who's the tough man that his son looks up to. He'd be under the dome. I know. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that's a terrible show. I can't believe he went on to do that. But, um, and... Yeah, just with like with the character, they just turn someone, and week by week, hour by hour, that you watch that show, you turned a person into someone that you were like, yeah, yeah, he just ha- he has to cook crystal meth for his family. He's about to die. He needs to provide for them. And you get to the point where you're saying he has to kill those people because they're gonna like they're gonna ruin his plan and they're gonna kill somebody else. And then it gets to the point where he's doing absolutely horrific stuff, and there's still like a still a little part of you that wants to be with him. Because you kind of identify with him, but at the same time, it's he's doing terrible things. It's the whole difference. But it's such a popular show. <laughs> it's the whole thing of he's a thief. No, he's stealing a loaf of bread. Mm. He's stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. He's yeah. a father. He's a provider. Yeah. You no, know, it's the way you look at things mm. and the way that the show, where the show lets you into, yeah. essentially. And never watch Breaking Bad either. Oh my god! <laughs> Part of the reason was you and our breakfast presenter going. It's uh. amazing. <laughs> See, and that's oh the fear. God. That is one of the big fears with being in and, you know, once again, wankingly say the golden age of television is that there is so, like, once you find someone that watches a show, you get so passionate about it. But if there's no one that's not watching it, you feel like they're missing out because you're experiencing such an amazing thing that you really want to share it with people. Because, like, 16 million people watch The Big Bang Theory and, like, so many people waste so much time on shows that are great, like can make them really happy, and it that's great. And can be million dollars an episode. Yeah, million dollars an episode. But even but 
there are shows out there that are so good just to like really help you with life <laughs> like really helps you understand human condition what's going on in the world that you know the world's not perfect and fantastic and that these characters ex- exist so it's it's a really interesting weird time very weird time okay well there's been a lot of talk about sort of dramas or mm. fantasy type shows what about is comedy this just <laughs> um, comedy wise comedy is a bit different because they're always there's always like push the envelope comedy there's always like they didn't last very long but there were shows there like I don't know if anyone's and it's a really weird one to kick off with but The Tick did anyone see The Tick there was oh, a TV show version superhero. yeah of the superhero The Tick it, yeah. there was a cartoon it's version but there was a real life version as well with Patrick Warburton who actually voices Joe on Family Guy oh, yeah. as The Tick and also Putty in Seinfeld um, and that was an amazing show, and that was run by like Larry Charles, who run who ran Seinfeld, yeah. and Charlie Kaufman was one of the head writers of the show before he went on to create like Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there were once again kind of like drama. There were comedies there that were like diamonds in the rough. That there were like amazing TV shows. Didn't last very long, but were. Brilliant, brilliant writing. Critics raved about it, but no one really watched them or not enough people watched them. But that's the thing with good comedy. Mm-hmm. Drink some good. <laughs> that's the thing with good comedy, though. It's it's always been stuff that pushes the envelope. And there always has been good comedy that pushes the envelope right back from Monty Python onward, you know? Yeah, like absolutely. Well, even kind of going back to HBO, one of the shows that was on HBO was the Larry... And I'm quite hazy about this because I'm kind of reading up. I'm constantly studying things about these shows because I love them so much. But Larry Larry Sanders' show um, was amazing. Like, it was a show that kind of broke that mould about what a TV show was, kind of not fake mockumentary, but a behind-the-scenes look at a kind of talk show. And it featured great people like David Duchovny would feature on it, all these random celebrities would feature on it. It was an amazing show, early 90s, and it was great. But, yeah, it gets to the point now where you just get to a bigger volume of things. Like, even, like, mainstream shows like The Office, the US version of The Office, before, because we'll talk about kind of British shows later. The UK version of The Office was really fantastic. It kind of really introduced the world to Steve Carell and really kind of pushed things on. It went for nine seasons. They weren't all fantastic, but they oh, were no. they were so they were like they were interesting. They were better than any other kind of show at that the time. Steve Carell series, that yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So it's just like the yeah. There are there were mainstream shows. Comedies are different to dramas. You can kind of push the envelope a bit more with comedies. Just people won't watch it. And but but networks would have a go at it well good comedy and especially good comedy that pushes the envelope like it because there became a point in time where you couldn't push the envelope any further in terms of shock value mm. but shock value became you pushed the envelope in terms of how awkward or how complex it could get yeah. like the layers of complexity in a show that we're going to get to talk about arrested development yeah. are insane and the layers of Awkwardness in something like the Larry David comedy, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm. I was going to say the Larry Sanders show. Uh, <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like, it, it's just you cringe for him. You feel a physical reaction in yeah. your body to the things that he is saying and doing. That's one of my favourite shows. Yeah. 
it's, so good. Cobra Enthusiasm is amazing. It's expanding the thought of comedy as being just like ha-ha comedy. Yeah. It's comedy that's just like... And Monty Python did it, used to do it. They yeah. would do, you know, 40 minutes of it. Yeah. But they would do awkward comedy Ooh. with certain parts. And Faulty Towers touched on it even a bit as well. But shows like Curb and shows like even the, the UK version of The Office... Really, like, things were funny because the situation was funny. People were laughing at different times to different things. With those shows that you cringe, I, like, I can't... It caused me a physical thing where I Yeah, it's a it. physical it thing. It gets to the point where, like, if I haven't seen... I don't watch... I've watched random episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like, a brilliant show. Go, Absolutely Go fantastic. back, watch in order. But it's like... It's like my heart gets tight when I yeah. watch it. Because it's so awkward because I put myself in that situation. Yeah. Larry David just doesn't give a shit. And I give nope. a lot of shits. So, it's just like my heart kind of contracts. And I kind of, like, put my hands on my face. And I just can't watch it. I can only... I'm, I'm so lucky... That curb is only like 22 or 30 minutes, minutes or something. If it was an hour, I couldn't watch. I wouldn't get to the end of an episode. It appeals to the whole human condition of, mm. like, he says and thinks and does stuff that everyone would love to say, think and do, mm. you know, but you realise through the consequences of his actions why you just don't. Yeah, yeah. But that's, what, but that's what makes it so good. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the opportunity Absolutely. to talk about Kirby Enthusiasm. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I would say that Curb is better than Seinfeld in a lot of ways. Seinf- I enjoyed it much more than Seinfeld. Is and was amazing, uh, but yeah, Curb Seinfeld like it was sort of like Seinfeld on fucking steroids. Seinfeld and had not... the restrictions of like network TV. Yeah, yeah, and so it just went more places. Yeah, and I think it's probably more personal as well. Mm. Like there's a bit of a journey. There's a bit more sort of storyline and progression that goes on throughout the series. And even with Curb. Like, it's a lot more improvised as well. They weren't working on scripts. They weren't polishing things and then having to make sure, like, that worked for a live studio audience, that it also worked for network executives who, who understood it, thought it was funny, and then it could get through, like, standards and practices as well. Mm-hmm. Curb being on HBO, being a free-form thing, having Larry David behind it as well doesn't hurt things like even when he was on Seinfeld apparently he threatened to quit at least like once a week because people wanted to change things with you know that voice now and being able to say yeah do what you want you're Larry David and coming up with Curb is just like we're just really lucky (laughs) I just keep thinking we're really lucky to be able to have all these shows because it could be so different like if there weren't things like like, I can understand, like, HBO and, and cable networking and stuff being just the standard of of what would happen to TV. But if we didn't have things like illegal downloads and if we didn't have things like Netflix and Hulu and, and even, like, Yahoo and Amazon getting into, like, creating TV shows, we wouldn't keep seeing more risque stuff because all the TV channels would just kind of keep it to themselves. They would be able to keep the rules there because of the institutions that they are where the internet's kind of the Wild West. I think Moose has an answer to this question. (laughs) All comes back to the Beatles. (laughs) All comes back to the Beatles. It's about time and freedom. Like, 
the Beatles are only as good as they were in their later years because they were they, so good in their early, well they they the a had so much fucking time before they were even signed playing eight days a week like fucking all day all night you know I'm just making 60s song references yeah I know you know but this playing all the time playing all the time becoming incredibly good but then they were allowed to fail they were given kind of what now would be considered very loose shitty albums and they came up with some really great stuff once they'd had the time to work on it and the freedom to work on it. It's the same in television that if you don't cancel a show just because its ratings are bad, you give it time and you give it the freedom to go to the places it wants to. Okay, so shows that have been cancelled. Let's go. What's been cancelled that shouldn't have been cancelled? I The one that comes up a lot when I talk to other people Firefly. is Firefly. <laughs> Is Firefly, um, and I came to fly. I came to Firefly in a weird way. I at university in one of my random courses, they actually showed a Serenity, and I hadn't. I'd heard of Firefly, I hadn't seen it. So watching Serenity a movie is the movie. Yeah, based the movie on. on. Well, yeah, it's kind of a continuation of the TV show, but as a movie. So they kind of just resets the series in the movie to the point where. It's just like nothing's changed and, yeah, you're kind of meeting these characters for the same time but you're kind of forwarding a story for everybody, for everyone that's watched the show and were desperate, like, hardcore fans. So, but watching Firefly, I wish there were more. Like, I always wish there were more but it's, yeah, just one of those seasons that just just wasn't meant to be, really, and that's it. Um, cancelled show just off the top of my head. I was really sad when Community got cancelled. I know that it's back now with Yahoo, but um, which is a totally crazy thing. But when I when Community got cancelled, it was and literally it was me just going, "It's cancelled. Okay, it's 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 done. That's it. I'm 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 happy. That's it." I literally got to a point where I'm like, "Someone's going to bring it back. Someone's going to bring it back. Someone's going to bring it back." Someone's going to bring it back. And when it got to the point where it didn't look like anyone was coming back and they were all saying all these things have gone through, I literally got to the point where I'm like, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> and just got really sad. And then Yahoo picked it up and everything was all good. So, yeah, cancelled shows, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Was the first it, example of one coming back like that family guy? Yeah. I, uh, I, I yeah, yeah, because yeah. Family Guy was cancelled. It got cancelled after two or three two or three. seasons. I feel it was like such it was a huge three. success on like home media that That's it was it. brought back, and that was really kind of the catalyst for what would happen in the future. Like Family Guy, and this is once again kind of before internet downloading and things got really big, and even like YouTube and stuff. Like YouTube existed, but watching entire TV shows on there didn't really seem like a possible thing. It would take up too much internet, yeah. Um, so when Family Guy like solely got brought back because of like DVD sales, it really showed that you had a power, that you had like a voice, that you could do things. Because so many shows that were quite good, like Freaks and Geeks goes up there, Judd Apatow's, Paul Feig, amazing show, like absolutely incredible. To the point where I've shown, I've introduced so many people to that show. And it's insane. <laughs> and think about like think about the cast of that as well. That's like Seth Rogen, Jason Segel, Judd Apatow as well behind the scenes. Yeah, but Judd Apatow is the reason those guys are now huge names because he yeah. kind of, I'm sure he wasn't. He saw the talent. Canceled. He yeah. took them with him. Yeah, he yeah. cast them continuously. But that show lasted one season. Yeah. I heard in an interview with Judd Apatow that he said making the 40 year old version was like a fuck you for cancelling Freaks and Geeks. Like, it was just showing that there is a market and an audience out there for that kind of stuff. Time and freedom. You need yeah. it. 
That's it. And like he did other shows as well. He did a show called Undeclared, which a lot of people hadn't seen. It was kind of, it was after Freaks and Geeks. It was about a whole bunch of people. It was mainly Judd behind the helm and it was about a yeah, bunch of people at university in the mid 2000s. And like Seth Rogen was on there as well. There are a whole bunch of other people. Jay Baruchanel, who's in um, This is the End, Baruchanel, whatever it is. Um, and But people like Will Farrell made appearances. Lyndon Wainwright, the third, like the father of Rufus and Martha and stuff, like was a main character on that show. And Jason Siegel was there as well. Jack Black was there. Um, Kyle Gass was there like amazing show lasted a season that was it and then they kind of found their market in movies and things like that so but yeah cancelled shows also a huge thing with all of this is the fact that VHS sales were always I'm sure strong but nothing to the extent of DVD sales and the fact that you could buy whole seasons on DVD yeah and well, watch whole seasons on TV now. Well, with VHS, they whole season would have taken like, that whole. <laughs> it would have been like thirty something tapes. So, like even with The Simpsons, when The Simpsons was um, when they were putting it on like cassette, they were just doing like episode bunches. Yeah. They were coming up with a casual theme and putting episodes out. We for used it. to do like not just Simpsons, but in general, they used to do like sort of best of yeah. seasons yeah. But yeah. on VHS. Yeah. It was like, like these are the six episodes that we'll put yeah. on the video. Well, these are like 90 clips from three years of a show and they're pushed together. So, yeah, when DVDs came along, it allowed people to have more shows. So you saw things like Family Guy picking up. Um, the season became like an album for a band. Yeah. Right? And there are shows out there now, like, interestingly, coming back to it, there are shows now, because we'll, we'll get back to cancelled shows, but there is something that's happening now where people are choosing the length of the story that they tell. We're getting more serial dramas, things like Fargo, um, Detective. True Detective, um, even the one that's on now with Halle Berry, Extant, Extant something like that. She, yeah... Yeah, apart Cat from Storm. Woman. Yeah, boo. Storm. Storm, Storm she oh, was oh. She ruined Storm. <laughs> there was a lot of possibility for Storm. Storm used to be hot. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, there's even a show where she's, and it's co-executive produced by Steven Spielberg, and it's about, like, she's an astronaut that has come back from a year unmanned edition, uh, a trip up in space and has come back pregnant somehow. And, like, Mars. they've... Yeah, pretty you know much. That like pretty much. That sounds like Sigourney Weaver. It's aliens. She's got a chest burster inside of her. I was more just going to say Steven Spielberg sitting there with a dartboard just going, ha, boom. No, Halle Berry. No, no, it's a chocolate boom. wheel. Astronaut. It's a chocolate I love that Halle Berry and astronaut would be like two characters on yeah, this like, giant Halle wheel. <laughs> astronaut. What's, what's her main problem? <laughs> Pregnant. Pregnant. Remember Done. that chocolate wheel we found at uh, Gosford when we yeah. stayed at the... The, the old hotel time, that old timey, that time forgot. Yeah, old timey <laughs> Gosford Hotel with the chocolate wheel and the pokey room. That's good. Wow. Um, so yeah, yeah, there are like there are there are shows now that specifically set their timeline, and that's it. Like they want to tell a story in ten or twelve episodes. That doesn't mean that the next season won't just be like something. You know exactly the same. In the same vein, but but yeah, story. it'll be different characters, different story, different kind of people, but the same kind of storytellers in the same kind of way. That's so, like a horror story. Yeah. Every season is a new season of something, yeah. you know. And we all we always had something like that. Like miniseries were there. Like Band of Brothers is absolutely amazing. If you have any interest whatsoever in good storytelling or World War Two, 
You should watch Band of Brothers. I hate good storytelling. <laughs> a 10-part series that was produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Tom Hanks! Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love Tom Hanks. Talking about a specific, uh, uh, dealing with a specific regiment, uh, power, military paratroopers, um, as they, you know, uh, parachute into Normandy and then make their way to end the season in, like, uh, at Hitler's house. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I said I whispered Tom Hanks to Siri and she said City do. City do. What have you found what has she found for Tom Hanks? Oh no. Doing anything? Search City Do. City Do. City Do. City Don't. S- Siri's not on the ball, especially when it comes to Tom Hanks stuff. Siri, Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> you said that in an accent. <laughs> Here's some information. Here's some information on Tom Hanks. Full name, Thomas Jeffrey Hanks. Wow. Seen something we didn't know, Jeffrey. Date of birth, July 9th, 1956. Do you know that he's got his start in a show called Bosom Buddies, mm-hmm. where him and another guy dressed up as women? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Concord. That's how you know it, because of the Billy Joel thing. And I love Tom Hanks, but he was born in Concord, California. There you go. Do you know that his brother does all the voices for the Woody Toys, the for Woody the Toy Toys Story? Like yeah. We all know that. Oh, we're bringing out easy things now. Easy things now. <laughs> cancelled shows. Yeah, cancelled shows. So uh, go through it. Go. Uh, Arrested Development is a really interesting one. Um, I remember watching it. I saw I saw the first episode when it aired on Channel 7 and like 10.30 at night. What, the first season one? Or do you season, mean... The- no, first episode, season one pilot that aired on Channel 7. I was on holidays with a family friend. We were randomly flicking through channels. We were probably like 12 or 13. We were looking for random stuff and we came across Arrested Development. And we watched... And every day that week... We watched, we would sit up and watch to the point where we were supposed to be in bed, but we told his parents about this amazing show that was on by second night, by like banana stand episode. And we were just pissing ourselves. Um, we told his parents, they started watching it, they got addicted. And yeah, I pretty much just watched that show through DVDs. And then the, when there was another season, I was like, so I was like a child on Christmas when I was watching those episodes. It was amazing. It was a pretty cool way they did it though. Like when they brought it back. Oh, yeah. And one of the things as well, especially with it being on Netflix, was it opened you up to the possibility of of actually binging on a show. Like, I don't know if it was meant to be binge-watched. I, I think, think it was definitely meant to be because otherwise was. you would have forgot the little... Um, the nuance the way, Well, the way because it was done in different perspectives. Yeah. You might not have picked up on some of the things yeah. if you watched it a week apart. Yeah. But it only sort of made sense in the context mm. of, oh, well, that's what happened there and I'm joining the dots. Well, because, like, when the show was on, it was on on Fox and they had contracted all those actors to be available for that show, so everyone was ready to go. But when they did season four, everyone was off doing other things. They were doing movies and being married to Ellen and all these kinds of things. So Michael Sarah and Ellen. Yeah, yeah, Michael Sarah and Ellen. Um, But when they, like, they, they did that season differently by kind of interacting, like, kind of just being a blip in other people's lives in little parts because they couldn't get everyone in the same room at the same time. So, like, the storytelling was kind of dictated by the schedule and it's incredible. Like, watching season four, it gets a lot of slack, but it's oh, a really them. amazing show. It's they? a really great show. Because, well, everyone it gets that thing as well where you compare things to how things were. You compare... 
um, you know, season four of Arrested Development to the first three or even the fir- just the first one. And you, it's, there's always going to be that comparison there. But the fact that it happened and that they, that they see that there is an audience there for Arrested Development is great because it was only air- – it was getting like a couple of million, which isn't a lot in America. Like Big Bang Theory now gets 16 million. Yeah, that's a piece of shit. Yeah, 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 but uh, but it gets sixteen million people. That's why those ep- that's why those actors get a million dollars an episode. Means there's a lot of fucking dumb people. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot of people that want to watch that show. So, so yeah, but like, in, while on that subject of different in numbers in Australia, the level you need to become a hit show in terms yeah. of numbers is so different. But yeah. I read an article the other day that Angus and Julie Stone had the number one album in the country last week. And only sold 12,000 copies. Mm. And that was three times more than both number two and three on the charts. Mm. So, like, if you sell 2,000 copies of your album, you can be number 10 in the charts. Yeah. You know? Numbers... Charts? Oh, God. Numbers get to the point where they don't really mean anything. No. Like, Big Bang Theory is good. The reason that Big Bang Theory is good is that it attracts a lot of different kinds of people in. That means that they can sell marketing to so like advertising space to so many people. Like, I partially take back what I said like people aren't I try not to be too tough watching it but what I would say is that it's so um, palatable for everybody that like but you can't actively dislike it. Yeah, but it's I vanilla would, ice cream. But I would yeah. find it hard to say that's my favourite show. Yeah. yeah, and I don't find it funny in the slightest because yeah. you can kind of see why everything's being set up. Yeah. It's but like, I okay, watched well, season after fun. season of that as opposed to Two and a Half Men, which is just plain awful. <laughs> well, I think they're on the same no, playing field. No way! To me. No way! Oh, see, I think yeah, I think they. I think they're of ex- the same vein. No, like, there is way more. There is way more heart and character development in Big Bang Theory than that ever is in Two and a Half Men. We are arguing about this while we talk about the golden age of television. (laughs) Because Two and a Half Men is overpaid rich white men in Hawaiian shirts, one's a nerd, cries at night, one bangs ladies, has an alcohol and gambling problem. They both live in an amazing house with a kid that shouldn't have to deal with all that shit. Okay. Do you do you like Big Bang Theory because you somehow relate to the characters more than Two and a Half Men? No. Well, yes, I do. But yeah. no, I do relate to them more. But that's not why I... I why you like it. Why I like it. Yeah. Like, I, I like it in the fact I would never go out and choose to watch it. But if it's yeah. on, I don't mind it. It's like, it's like popcorn. It's like, popcorn's great. All the time. <laughs> great. Probably bad analogy. But it also plays on, it plays on nerd culture being cool at the moment as well. Yeah. Like... You can tell that nerd culture is absolutely at the peak of being cool because mm. that show has 16 million viewers. Yeah. You know? But it's still, like, it's vanilla enough that, like, grandma and grandpa oh, yeah. can watch it and they'd be like, you know, oh, yeah. they start talking about Batman or they start talking about quantum physics or something like that and they go, oh, yeah, that's just nerd humour. It's got a little catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, there's the catchphrases in there, which is good for marketing. There's a hot chick in there, which is quite good. There's a little bit of diversity in there. So there's like, you know, it's not just all just white people. And there is, you know, a, a something there where, yeah, you can just go back to it any time. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to watch season one through six to get season yeah. seven you can come in at season seven and go yeah this is the show this but at is the same it. time the simpsons does that and it's brilliant writing mm. but um the fact that they've got like actual physicists and smart yeah, guys yeah. writing yeah. a lot of their jokes yeah. and a lot of their stuff Absolutely. automatically pulls it above what mm. just that oh my god by the numbers is a yeah. compliment for two and a half men you know <laughs> 
So going back to that as well, like future it's a stinking pile of garbage. Two and a half men. <laughs> okay, so you hate two and a half men. Awful. <laughs> Um, one of those other shows and kind of dealing with that kind of humor, but also being canceled is Futurama, um, is written by smart people, is written by people with math degrees and physics degrees, um, and write like they write amazing stuff, but it's all like, it's not all scientifically sound, but they put a lot of thought into that side. Yeah, yeah. It's to the point where they know the rules of the universe and they're not going to bend them without... Making a, making an explanation or giving it a try, also, and got cancelled again. It doesn't have to be scientifically sound for me to kind of think it's sciencey and smart. All you yeah. have to do is say time travel, bunch of smart words. I'm like, oh, he knows a lot about yeah. time travel. But how I relate to that is oh, like, I always kind of think of like Highlander and stuff like it's like, hey, it's a, it's kind of magic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll buy him that. Yeah, I'll buy into that. It's yeah. cut off. Okay, sure. It's like in like sci-fi movies and stuff where they have like one series guy do like five or ten minutes of dialogue explaining like the crux of why the movie can take place. It's like once you get through that mumbo jumbo, you're like, okay, yeah, that's solid. Yeah, 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 they can go back in time. That's fine. <laughs> They've worked it out as long as they relate the same stuff. I think we haven't given enough due attention to the greatness of Rusty Development. <laughs> it's really hard because it's such a good show. It's a great show. It's a great show. I'm really happy that it's back. There's rumours that there's going to be another season. There were talks of another movie. Um, but they've definitely seen that... The <laughs> they've seen that there's an audience there for that. And it's through Netflix as well. So they know, they know that... Yeah, I'm just happy that it ended up there and that Fox didn't bring it back and said, yeah, 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 we'll bring you back. Obviously, there's a lot of people, but heaps of people have to watch this. Otherwise, we're going to cancel you yeah. and you're never going to come back. Netflix is the perfect thing because people binge watch things. They download yeah. it straight away. It got millions of view, like downloads as soon as it came out and everyone was talking about it. That's why shows that are like that are fantastic. Like. House of Cards, if anyone has watched watch House of Cards. Solid show, really solid show. But the fact that you can binge watch it is brilliant. The fact that you can watch it at your own speed makes the storytelling um, just stay with you a lot longer. You can watch like four episodes in one night, but at the same time you could watch one episode and go, I need a break. Like I need to process all this stuff. So it's kind of up to you. It's letting you do what you want and then everyone starts talking about it because mm. one of the main things when all this downloading thing came out was how is everyone going to talk about it? How is everyone going to know about this stuff if it's not airing on TV at a particular time? Just go to AV Club. Yeah. <laughs> where are you up to? But we also get to the point where, you know, you say House of Cards and people go, spoiler alert. I've only watched like three episodes or I'm only on season one or something like that. People so, work it out. Yeah, we've learnt that stuff now. So that's why I'm really looking forward to seeing more TV like that. Also with the AV Club stuff, like the Game of Thrones stuff for the people who have read the books and the Game of Stuff for the people who have seen the series. Yeah. We've got two separate sections. The great thing, sorry, I'm just kidding quickly. The great thing about Game of Thrones is that while the book was the basis of the TV show, because of George R. R. Martin's involvement in the oh, TV right. show, it can take it in different ways. So you're learning from things in the recent seasons that haven't been touched on in the book. So it makes it, it makes the TV show more thrilling because it's mm. not just like, let's see what scenes they picked from the book to put in this week's episode. It's actually advancing the story in a way that may have not been done in the books before or wasn't appropriate in the books, but they can do it with a big budget and a TV and, like, five or six million people. All right, Game of Thrones deserves its own fucking section, so let's get to that later. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Let's sit on that. We'll order some dinner now (laughs) because one of the kids is sitting over there. I was like, we we should... 
We yeah. should get some food and you should drink some more We should have full stomachs before we destroy the TV industry. How long have we been recording for? This is going to be like one of those this Nick Milligan part two episodes. This might have to be too high. <laughs> this is going to have to be a Nick Milligan. It's just these Nicks. These, this is what Nicks do to us. <laughs> this already might be two episodes. <laughs> cool. Speaking of getting money for content, if anyone wants to sponsor Splitting Cases, we're look, we're fine. We're here. Cool we're, bar. we're just welcome. We'd yeah. love, we'd love, we'd love it. Sweet fruity wine. Cool bar. Sweet fruity and white. Smooth taste.